Dude, I'm, I'm super excited about this series that we're doing on spiritual uh, warfare. Um, and we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, though, in the context of our relationships. So today, uh, we're going to kind of do an overview, really, but, but kind of zoom in on marriage. Um, and then uh, next week, we're going to talk about how does the enemy attack the mindset of, of women. So men, you don't want to miss next week. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know to understand women, <laughs> spiritually. Emotionally, it's on you. Like spiritually, I will tell you. And then in week three, we're going to look at men uh, and why are we so passive uh, sometimes? Why do we fight for the, the wrong things so many times? And men are like, hey, I'm out. And your wife's going, oh, we're coming to both services and we're going to watch online afterwards. Like, so, so that's there. And then the last week, we're going to talk about my very favorite subject, which is uh, the church and how the enemy tries to attack uh, the church. But I want to start by making a statement today um, that, that everyone should agree with, whether you're a Christian or not, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter, you should agree with us. Men and women are different, right? right we're, we're different. Like, just even like picking out shampoo, for example. Like women, like, it's uh, what's it made of, and what color is the bottle, and how many recommendations are there, and does it have good body for my hair, and, and all of these things, men are like, said shampoo. Or, or even look like go, go to a, a couple's house and they have a men's bathroom and a women's bathroom, like they separate bathrooms. In the men's bathroom, you're going to find four or five things, razor, a toothbrush, toothpaste, and probably some soap. Um, and if they have hair, some shampoo. In a women's bathroom, like there's going to be 337 items in there and the men can't even name half of them. Like we're, we're different. Like, but God, listen, God made us different uh, on purpose. And he made us different, not to divide us, but to actually to bring us closer together. And today, I just have three points uh, that we're going to talk about. And I'm pretty jacked up on coffee starting at 11 o'clock. Like, I've had plenty of time <laughs> to drink. So, so you may have to listen fast if I start really rattling, like, but, but it'll be okay. You can go back and listen online if you miss something. Three points. And the first one is this, though, is that God multiplies. Like, God, God multiplies. You know, when I first got into to ministry, um, and, like, and you have to understand like, my whole church life growing up, like, I, when I was 10 years old, I got baptized. I started leading and, and volunteering, like, in children's church when I was in junior high. And then when I got into high school, um, when I was a senior in high school, I started leading the junior high youth group. And then I went to Bible college. And then I went right into to ministry my freshman year of Bible college. So, so my whole church experience growing up, I never had to deal with old people or, or adult people. We'll, we'll say adult people. I'm going to get canceled this week anyway, so that's okay. <laughs> Like, like adult people. Like I grew up and I was always dealing with kids. And then I started in ministry and I started having to deal with adult people. And what I realized was that most Christians are miserable. Like we're not very happy people. Like I went to Bible college and I had to sign this covenant even. Like, like you're not going to play cards and you're not going to dance and you're not going to watch R-rated movies and, and you're never going to touch alcohol or never smoke anything. And, and I'm not saying you should do those things, but I'm just saying like, it wasn't fun. But then one day you die and it gets better. And then I started reading the Bible on my own. And what I discovered about Jesus is that he didn't come and die just to get us out of hell and into heaven. He came and died to get himself out of heaven and into us so that we could live an abundant life, so that we could have an abundant life. And we can smile and we can laugh and we can clap and we can dance, whether you like it or not, like David did it naked. Like, we, we can do it. 
Like we can have an abundant life and God really does multiply. If, if you take a $20 bill and, and you multiply it five times out, are you happy? I am. Like God wants to bring multiplication to our life. He wants to bless us. And it started all the way back in the very beginning in the book of Genesis with creation. And now, like all I know is that God spoke and things came into existence. And it takes faith to believe that. But what I've come to discover in 45 years of life is that no matter what you believe about creation, it takes faith. You can believe the biblical account, which, which makes more sense to me, or you can believe the other account that says a Big Bang Theory or a cosmic ooze or, or whatever, but either way, it takes faith. You have to believe something because none of us were there. So it takes faith to believe that, and I believe the biblical account with all of my heart, and it starts kind of in Genesis 1, 24 is where I want to start this morning. It said this, then God said... Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Now, let's pause there for a minute. And I just want to follow the science. Okay, we're going to follow the science. Animals Animals producing offspring of their own kind. How do animals produce? Very simple. You have a boy kangaroo, you have a girl kangaroo, and the boy kangaroo has parts, and the girl kangaroo has parts, and I think you can get canceled in 2022 for saying that. But listen, I'm just following the science. So you got the boy with the boy parts and the girl with the girl parts, and they get together and they make another kangaroo, a baby kangaroo with either boy parts or girl parts. Am I right? Right. So, like the rabbits got this down. Like, they're, they're good. But, but keep this in mind. We're going to come back to this. Like, so God's creating the world. He's creating everything. And then he creates man. And we can read about that in Genesis 1. I want to pick it up in Genesis 2 where it tells the same story. But it says this. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. God reached down. He picked up some dirt. He breathed into it, and it became a living person person. And I just want to point this out. Some people, you're listening, you don't believe the Bible, you have doubts, like, like, okay, like, I'm fine with that. But the Bible says that life begins when God takes dirt and breathes into it. And when a man dies, he breathes out and the body goes back to dirt. I mean, it's right there in the, in the scriptures. So God created man, and then God speaks to him. Like, now, what are the first word that, words that God's going to say? Like, God is about to speak to the pinnacle of his creation. Like, what's he going to say? And this is what he says. He says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And I just want to focus on those first three words. God said, you are free. The first three words God speaks to his creation is that you are free. Not thou shalt not, not don't do this, not stop that. It was you are free. See, God created us to live in freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from death, freedom from harm. Like there is incredible freedom when we walk in Christ. And God wants us to live in freedom. I like to take it even further and go to the first five words. God says you're free to eat. Like I like that. He said, but, in verse 17, you must not. Eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. 
Don't miss that. You can eat from all of these trees, all of them, but you can't eat from one. There's lots of grace, and there's a little bit of law. Like, we don't think that as followers of Christ. We think a lot of law and a little bit of grace. But even in the beginning, it was a lot of grace and a little bit of law. And I'm thankful for the law. Like, like I am. Can you imagine a world without any law? It'd be crazy. Like, we need order. We, we need boundaries. We, we need those things. And that's why God gives us his word. It's not to restrict us, but it's to protect us. And watch what happens next. That then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. The first time he says it's not good. He goes about creating things and he creates mountains and the rivers and the birds and the animals and they're all good, they're good, they're good, they're good. And he looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. He said, I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, man, I'm gonna set you up here like, just lean over to your wife and say, I mean, you are just right. Like, trying to get you a Sunday afternoon nap. Like, so the Lord God said, formed from the ground all the wild animals and all of the birds of the sky. So he brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. So God says it's not good for man to be alone. But look at this. Like, I've never seen this. But before God gave him a wife, he gave him a job. God gives him a purpose. And there was a lot of work to be done. So, so girls, if you're dating a guy, listen to me, and he says that he's got a heart for God and that he loves Jesus and he doesn't have a job, look out for him. Well, he can't find a job. Like, they're giving signing bonuses at Taco Bell right now. <laughs> like, he had a job. Like, he's naming all these animals. Like, and I, like, I want you to see what God's doing. He's, he's marching all of these animals in front of him. And remember in Genesis chapter 1, that we put that over here for a minute, he created animals to produce offspring, and they had parts and, and parts. And Adam's naming them, and he's like, those two kind of look the same. Like, they're dogs, but like, he's got parts, and she's got different parts. Like, oh, what are they doing? That looks fun. Like, God, I need one of those. Like... So he gives names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the wild animals, but there was no helper who was just right for him. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, it said, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs. God said, Adam, I've got something for you, but it's going to cost you something. He had to put Adam to sleep, and don't miss this. This is the first living creature, actually the only living creature that God did not create from the dust of the ground. Like there is something unique and special about the way that God made women. It's from the rib and like under the arm to be protected and to be close. And so he took the rib and he closed up the opening and then the Lord God brought her uh, to the man. Now don't miss this, Adam's asleep and God creates Eve. Eve's first relationship is not with Adam. It's with God. And it's kind of mysterious. Like, we don't know how long Adam was asleep. We don't know how long or that God spent with Eve. We don't know if he said anything to Eve. We just know that God had this relationship with Eve. And before that, God had this relationship with Adam. And when each of them had a relationship with God, God then brought them together. 
And now Adam is kind of excited. Like watch what he says in Genesis 2.23. He says, at last, with an exclamation point. Like at last. Like this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And then for this reason, uh, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two are united in the one. Now, the man and the wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Like, God multiplies. Like, he is bringing blessing on blessing on blessing to all of creation. He multiplies. But the second thing you need to know is that Satan divides. Like, you take a $20 bill and you put it in your hand, you divide it out five times, are you happy? No. Especially when you could have had it multiplied. Like, Satan always, always, always divides. Like, I talk to a lot of couples, and they say this, and now, listen, this is not the time to say amen. Like, do not say amen. But I talk to so many couples, and usually the man says this. They'll say, Josh, they were normal before I married them. And after I married them, they went crazy. Now, so let me let you in on a little secret. They were crazy before you married them. But marrying you made them crazier. <laughs> like, let me ask you a question. Like, are you a sinful person, like kind of selfish sometimes? Like, so is your spouse. Like, at what point did you not think there was going to be issues? Because here's what Christian couples think. We got the man, and we got the woman, and Jesus, and we're together, and it's going to be amazing. What we don't understand is that when we get married, we have the man, and we have the woman, and we have Jesus, but then Satan shows up as well. In fact, Satan didn't show up in Genesis chapter 2. He could have attacked Adam at any time. He could have gotten to Eve at any time. Satan didn't show up till after the marriage, and that's when it got crazy. So if you feel like things got crazy after you got married, it's because you're under spiritual attack. Like the, the family is obviously under spiritual attack. I can watch what happens. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, God didn't say that, but see how he works. And Eve says, of course not. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat from. God, God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So God said if you eat from this tree, what will happen? You will die. Like God said it would happen. Does that make God mean or does that make God loving? It makes him loving. Like if you're on the stage with me and you're standing backwards and I tell you, hey, if you take one more step backwards, you're going to fall off the stage and break your leg and you fall off the stage and break your leg, does that make me cruel? If you call me cruel for that, then I'm probably going to break your other leg. <laughs> like, that's stupid. Like, I told you. If I tell you what's going to happen and you still do it, that's not on me. Like, that's on you. God said, hey, I don't want you to die. So don't eat from the tree. And then this is what Satan says. You, you won't die. You won't die. Like, Eve, come on. You're not going to die. God is loving. He's merciful. If you do exactly what he told you not to do, you won't die. 
A loving God would not bring about death. Anybody talk to Eve this morning before they came to church? Like, there's a reason you didn't. She's dead. She ate from the tree. He says this, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her. He's there the whole time. He watches the whole thing. Why is he so passive? We're gonna talk about that in week three. But why did Adam eat the fruit? Naked woman with fruit can make you do anything. Like, like I, I don't know. So, and he ate it too. Like I, that's the best explanation I got. But Satan, like, like he is... That's how Satan works. Look, he's a deceiver. Again, all of us have been deceived at some point. Like, think about how good Satan is at deception. Like, we read elsewhere in the Bible that he was able to deceive a third of the angels in heaven. Like, angels, like, they're in the presence of God, and Satan convinced them to come to his side. Like, that's powerful. He said, Eve, you will be like God. Guess what? She was already like God. She was created in the image of God. But Satan deceived her, convinced her that, hey, God is holding out on you. Now, there are people in this room, there are people watching online, that if we're not careful, we can be deceived by the enemy. We believe things that that are not true. And that's why we have to arm ourselves by studying the word of God. Like we have to know the truth of God's word so that we're not deceived by Satan. Which leads to the next thing is Satan lies. Like he, he lies. He told Eve, hey, you won't die. But she did. Now everybody in this room has been lied to and we've, we've told a few, right? Say, I've never lied. Let me see your driver's license, wait. Like <laughs> Satan told Eve, he said, you will not die. And she did. And some of us in this room, like we've bought into the lies of Satan. Now I would say, I would say that Jennifer and I, we have a great marriage. She might say different, but she's not in the room, so I got the microphone. But I, but I would say we do. Like, because there are people that have a great marriage and there are people that have a fake marriage. Like, but we haven't always had a great marriage. Like we haven't, like there was a turning point. Like we used to fight we used to argue. There was a turning point when a friend of mine pulled me aside and said, hey, you know what? Jennifer is not the enemy. Like, she's not the enemy. Like, that completely changed everything. Because that's the lie we want to believe about our spouse, is that they are the enemy. Like, they're the one that we're fighting. And when we believe that they're the enemy, we will fight them instead of fighting with them against the real enemy, which is Satan. Like, there are people that you're in the room, you're watching online, you believe the lie. All what God says about marriage and dating and all that stuff, that's outdated. You don't have to follow that. You believe the lie. You aren't good enough to lead your family spiritually. People in this room, that you're, you're divorced and you believe the lie that you'll never be in a meaningful relationship again. 
you believe the lie. I can't say anything about the past. But here's what I know. From this point on in Christ, you can have an amazing future if you stop buying into the lies of the devil. And the last thing, the last tool that Satan uses is shame and blame. That's the name of Kyle and Tiffany's country band, shame and blame. Like Kyle's shame and Tiffany's blame. But, <laughs> like, but at this point in the story, like everything's going to pieces, kind of like in the sermon. Like, but everything's going to pieces, but verse 7 says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame, because that's what happens when we sin, we feel shame. They, were, they felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together. You know, we do stupid things when we sin. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, thank you, the man and his wife had heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from him. So they hid from him. Like hiding from from God. How are you gonna hide from God? Like, is that not stupid? Like Amelia, my granddaughter, was over yesterday, and she likes to play like peekaboo. And she'll cover her eyes, and when she covers her eyes, she doesn't think that I can see her. I'm like, now that's stupid. But she's only one. Like we do the same thing. We we hide from God. Some 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 hide behind porn, some hide behind alcohol, some prescription drugs, some from with work, some hide under religion. Like we won't confess a problem, we're just gonna pray more, or we're gonna read our Bible more, or we're gonna raise our hands and worship more. Let me tell you something. Like if you won't come out of hiding. God won't help. I didn't say he can't. I said he won't. Like until we admit that we have a problem, like I mean we can't even, like we can't even be saved until we admit that we're sinners in need of a savior. At some point we have to own what we did. So they're hiding. So then the Lord God called out to the man, like wait a minute, who sinned first, Adam or Eve? Eve did. But he called out to the man. Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now watch this next verse. Who told you you were naked, asked the Lord. The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now for years when I read that verse, um, and and most of us probably the same way because we grew up with angry parents, like we see God pointing his finger and saying, who told you you were naked? You ate from that tree, didn't you? But I want to read it in a different context. Because, like, that's not what we know about God. Because Adam's like, we're naked, we're ashamed. And I think God's response was, who told you that? Who, who told you that you were, you were naked? Nobody gets to d- define you, Adam. Nobody gets to, to define you, Eve. Like, I made you. I get to define you. And for those of you who are battling shame, let me ask you a question. Who told you you'd always be that way? Who told you that you would never measure up? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you'd never beat that addiction? Who told you that because of what you went through that you were damaged good and nobody could ever want you? Who told you? Because it wasn't God. 
Like we have to start listening to the voice of God because he's not trying to catch us in a sin and push us down. He's trying to help us get out of the pit that we've already put ourselves in. And then that's where the blame game starts. Said the man replied, it was the woman you gave me. God's like, what happened? Well, God, things were awesome. Things were going great. Until you gave me this woman, God. He's blaming God. God, this is your fault. Don't we do that? Like we do that when we have a problem, don't we? Like we're trying to, to, to blame it on God. Like it was the naked woman with the parts and like you gave her to me. It's your fault. It was the woman who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Eve blamed the devil. Adam blamed God, Eve blamed the devil. And that's when beyond, like Satan gets too much credit. Like many of us get our ideas about Satan and what he's capable of from like Hollywood and movies. And here's what we have to understand. Satan can influence you. He cannot control you. He is limited. He is not like God. Like if Satan is in Ken Mundy, he can't be in Salem. He's not omnipresent like God is. He's he's not like God that can be everywhere. He's not omnipotent like God is and has all power. Like he can influence you, but he cannot control you. At the end of the day, listen, if a relationship is going to succeed, each person has to own their part of the problem. Even if it's only 5%, you own your part of the problem. Stop blaming each other and stop blaming Satan and just own it and say, I've got a problem. Because as long as you're blaming and not owning your part of the relationship, the relationship's gonna struggle. Shame and blame. Which leads to the third point and the last one is that Jesus wins. Like God multiplies, Satan divides, and Jesus wins. Like I am super competitive. Like, like I am. Like before I moved to Illinois, I used to play uh, slow pitch softball. Like I'd play close to 200 games of slow pitch softball a year. But I had to quit. And I didn't quit because I'm too old. Like I didn't quit because I wasn't any good. I was actually kind of good. Like I got to travel all over the United States to play softball. But I had to quit for my testimony. Like listen, if we play a game, like I'm gonna win, even if I have to cheat. Like I'm gonna win. If it's a board game, if it's a card game, like I'm, like I'm not the guy that's gonna tell my kids, hey, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, that's how you play the game. Like that's a Cubs fan. Like you, you have to win. Like when my kids were little, like when my kids were little, like I would get amped up to play a game of shoots and ladders against them. Like I'm going to destroy them. Like I'm going to win. That's probably why they hate board games now. But that's one of the reasons I want to follow Christ. Because listen, when it's all over and the smoke clears and the battle is done, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And if Jesus wins and Jesus lives in me, that means that I get to win. And if Jesus is at the center of a couple, guess what? Then we win. You know how I know this? It's because of what God said in Genesis chapter 3. God's talking to Adam and Eve and he's talking about consequences and we'll talk about some of those in the next couple of weeks. But if you jump down to verse 15, he's talking to Satan about the consequences and this is what he says. 
He says in Genesis 3.15, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Like that right there blows the myth up that a Christian will never suffer. Like that type of teaching has destroyed the faith of so many people. God makes this statement and it's called the, the proto-evangelicon, which, which basically means it's the first prophecy about Jesus in the scripture. As we look at the life of Jesus, did, did Satan strike his heel? Absolutely. He's not even two years old and Herod's trying to have him killed. Everywhere he goes in life, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're trying to, uh, they're trying to trap him, trying to kill him, trying to, to get him like he's betrayed by his closest friend, he's denied by another friend, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's mocked. Like the people who spit on him, like he created the glands in their mouth that, that allowed them to spit on him. He was killed and put in a grave. Like his heel was struck. But three days later, by the power and the spirit of God, he crushed Satan's head. He got up. And because he got up, we can get up. Like there are some people here and your heel has been struck. Like when it comes to life, you're going through some hurt. When it comes to a relationship, like you're going through some pain. Like you're struggling right now. Like you have some doubts, you have some confusion. And that's not called being a bad person, that's called being a human. And I want you to know that in Christ, even though Satan has struck your heel, like you in Christ can crush his head. Paul tells us that in Romans 8, 11. He says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit that's living in you. If the spirit of God lives in you, then guess what? You win. Guess what, mom and dad? You win. Guess what, husband and wife? You win. Guess what, single person? You win. We in Christ, we don't lose. We don't hang our heads. We're not victims. We walk in victory. Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead so that we can walk in victory. And at the end of the day, there is nothing better than him. Like there is nothing better than him. Nothing in the world can help and heal us like Jesus Christ can. And in him, we win. I'm gonna ask you to stand this morning and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. If there's a decision you need, maybe today for the first time you need to, to, to confess that you've got a problem, that, that you are a sinner in need of a savior and today's the day that you need to be immersed in baptism. Maybe today you need someone to, to pray with you, pray for you. We would love to do that. Come forward as we sing this last song. Father God, I thank you today that I can stand here with confidence and know that no matter what happens in this life, that as long as Jesus lives inside of me, I win. That Satan may strike my heel. He may hit me over and over and over again. But in the end, God, I get to crush his head. And Father, I pray for every single person that's in this room, every person that's watching online. Father, I pray today that they would understand the power that's inside of them if, if they have Jesus Christ in them. That the power that raised him from the dead is available to each and every one of us. And we don't have to walk around with shame and guilt and regret because he's already crushed the head of Satan. We thank you for that. Thank you for the victory that we have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.